It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. Welcome to another edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. It's beginning to look a lot like hockey season as we head into the latter half of September 2019. The ice is going down at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. NHL preseason games are ongoing, and we have seen some Fuel alumni suit up for their National Hockey League teams. And before long, we're going to see hockey players onto the ice at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum as training camp begins on September 28th, and on-ice activity begins not too long after that. And then just a few weeks from now, the first preseason game, home preseason game, October 4th against the Cincinnati Cycle on 6.35 p.m. face-off. The Fuel will head to the road for the first two weeks of the regular season. On October 11th and 12th, they'll open at Wichita and Kansas City. Opening weekend at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum will be October 25th and 26th against the Cincinnati Cyclones, the first two of 36 home games. We've got a lot of great promotions ready for you, as well as some great ticket packages available for you. You can check them out at 317-925-FUEL or at IndyFuelHockey.com. As we mentioned, NHL training camps have begun, and we've got a great guest for you today. We're going to take a trip down memory lane and chat with Bruce Affleck. We'll tell you a little bit more about Bruce in a bit. He was a defenseman for the Indianapolis Checkers from 1980 to 84, was a part of two championship teams for the Indianapolis Checkers, two of the nine hockey championships here in Indianapolis. Fuel head coach Doug Christensen has been really busy of late, adding a few new players. One of them, forward Jay Dickman, a six foot six, two hundred and thirty-one pound rookie from Bemidji State in Minnesota. He had sixteen points in thirty-eight games last year for his college team. Also finished the year with the Florida Everblades. A couple of big signings from the American Hockey League. Bobby McIntyre, he had 35 points in 49 games for Jacksonville two years ago, 21 points in 58 games for the San Antonio Rampage of the American Hockey League last season. And veteran Alex Krushelniski, he fills the second of the four allotted vet spots for the Fuel. He has 181 career points in 188 ECHL games. This will be the sixth pro season for Krushelniski, the second-generation player out of Colorado College. His father, Mike Krushelniski, played a number of seasons in the NHL and won three Stanley Cups. Alex also a veteran of 118 American Hockey League games. He's played for Utah, Wichita, Allen, and Redding in the ECHL last year. Didn't play a lot for Redding. 19 games, had 20 points, also played 32 American Hockey League games for Binghamton and Lehigh Valley. In his last full ECHL season, he was a 25-goal scorer for the Utah Grizzlies back in 2015-16. So three high-impact signings, and now the Fuel roster beginning to fill out the forward group right now, Jay Dickman, Michael Doherty, Carl L. Mir, another rookie, Jack Jenkins, a rookie from Notre Dame, Alex Krushelniski, the veteran Bobby McIntyre, Darian Plouffe, the Kelly Cup champion from last year, Dante Salaturo, a multi-time 20-goal scorer, Joe Sullivan, a former Indiana Ice player who came from Manchester, Brendan Warren, a rookie from Michigan, and Spencer Watson, another multi-time 20-goal scorer who finished the year with a fuel as well as one familiar face in Matt Rupert. Matt will be returning for his fourth season in Indy, is 62 goals and 120 career points for the fuel. So a pretty good roster being put together. Alex Brooks, another familiar face, as well as Sam Tebow. 
Tim Shoup and Craig Wismierski come over from the Manchester Monarchs and Keone Tekshira, who is the ECHL's top power play producer on the blue line last season on the blue line and Charles Williams in goal for the fuel. Our guest on this week's edition of Under the Hood is a trip down memory lane, Bruce Affleck was a defenseman for the Indianapolis Checkers from 1980 to 84. He was a mainstay on the blue line, playing 155 games in Indy with 147 points. Both times the Indianapolis Checkers won championships in 1982 and 83. He had 18 points in 13 games in each playoff year and was the CHL's playoff MVP in 1983. He had 44 points in 33 playoff games for the Checkers, including 41 assists in his four years in Indy. He was the Central Hockey League's Outstanding Defenseman three times the Bobby Orr Award, winning it with the Dallas Blackhawks in 1980, and then twice with the Checkers in 1981 and 84. He was the league's playoff MVP in 83, and the league's co-MVP sharing the award with John Van Beesbrook in the league's final season in 1984. Bruce was also a veteran of 280 National Hockey League games, most of those with the St. Louis Blues from 1974 to 79. Also played a little bit for his hometown Vancouver Canucks and one game for the New York Islanders in 1983-84. For the last 30 years, Bruce has been a part of the St. Louis Blues front office, currently an executive vice president for the defending Stanley Cup champions. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well as a lot about his time here in Indy. Here's our chat with Bruce Affleck on this week's edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. Our guest on this edition of Under the Hood is Bruce Affleck, former Indianapolis Checker. He played parts of four seasons with the Checkers, won two Adams Cup championships, also was a three-time Central Hockey League Defenseman of the Year in the 1983 playoff MVP also the executive vice president of the St. Louis Blues, the uh, Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. And first of all, Bruce said, how has your summer been, especially uh, with the uh, Stanley Cup in the house? It's still a, a little bit surreal. It's hard to believe that uh, we finally won it. And uh, uh, now you know when teams complain that the summer is short uh, because they go into the playoffs in the final round. Now I understand what they mean because it's hard to believe that it's getting ready for next year, so you've got to put the hat back on and go to work. Yeah, the Blues have had runs to the conference finals here in the past, but those extra couple of weeks and then the celebration afterwards certainly uh, uh, makes for a short summer, but also a, a great one, doesn't it? It certainly does. Uh, I mean, the, the whole city just bought into this thing, and uh, you know, it's 52 years in the making, so people have been waiting for a long time. You know, you used to hear people say, I hope we've opened a Stanley Cup before I pass away or whatever, and unfortunately some people did pass away before we won the cup, but uh, now that we've won it, we can clear the air on that, and hopefully it's not another 52 years before we win it again. Yeah, what does it mean for you personally? You've been a part of the Blues in some capacity uh, off and on since 1974 as a player and uh, certainly for the last 30 years in the front office. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it means a lot, not only for myself, but just everybody in here who's done a lot of work. And you know, Sometimes the people who are in the office don't get uh, much credit, which understandably so, because it's the players on the ice that uh, do it. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and everything has to work properly. And uh, you know, you have to have the money financially. We're a, we're not a large market team, uh, yet we spend the cap. And so our owners, uh, group of 16 owners led by Tom Stillman, said we're going to spend the cap and let Doug Armstrong do what he does best, and uh, it, it paid off. So I think just you know internally it's uh, finally a relief in some fashion, 
but uh, just it's so exciting to see the uh, responses from the fans in the city of St. Louis and people who maybe not have been uh, hockey fans, but uh, you know got on the bandwagon as they say and uh, rode it through the playoffs and through the Stanley Cup. So it's just been fantastic. Wherever you go, people you know say something there if you've got a blue shirt on. Uh, just you know, and I heard the other day that our uh, merchandise sales have been better than anybody uh, you know ever in the history of hockey and by quite a bit. So it's just so much fun to see everybody enjoy it. And what does this mean as well for hockey in St. Louis? We've seen USA hockey registrations go up in Chicago early in the decade when the Blackhawks had their run. You've had a lot of really solid players and Alex Weidman who played here in Indy, part of that group and Patrick Maroon, obviously as part of the blues team and Logan Brown, early high draft pick with Ottawa. What is this going to do a long term for hockey and growing the game in the St. Louis area? You know, and if I can go back a little bit, obviously Brett Hull uh, meant so much to us in the uh, late '80s, early '90s that uh, hockey grew uh, just unbelievably in St. Louis. And then, of course, the team. And then, I think it was three years ago now, we had five kids drafted in the first round, which has never been done before from the same city. And so it's growing, but. Uh, there's a little town here in St. Louis called Kirkwood. And I saw an article the other day where they have what, uh, usually 325 kids that sign up for hockey and they are expecting 600 to sign up this year. And that's a combination of the boys and girls and girls is the fastest growing area in uh, minor hockey. But it, that just tells you one little area in St. Louis, what it meant to go to the Stanley cup and to see the growth of it. I think, uh, we'll see it for years to come. And, uh, that's great to see, and we've got a couple new uh, rinks being opened up here in the next month. Uh, one out in Chesterfield, one in Maryland Heights that the Blues are behind. It has three indoor rinks and an outdoor rink, and then the one in Chesterfield with two rinks. So it'll be needed, and we'll need more, but uh, that's the best part of it. Describe uh, some of the different roles you've had with the Blues. You've been a TV analyst. You've been the chief operating officer. You're currently the executive vice president. What are some of the things that you do in the front office in St. Louis? Well, currently, uh, as you've said, I've, I've worn a number of hats. I got initially involved as a uh, sales manager and doing some color on the radio with Dan Kelly. So that goes back a long time ago. And over the years, I've been vice president of sales and, as you mentioned, the chief operating officer and things like that. So now I'm kind of involved in you know a little different areas, some sponsorship. Uh, our alumni, of course, I'm president of our alumni association. It's a very active group, and we have almost 40 former players that live in St. Louis. And then uh, any way I can help in sales, too. So kind of uh, spread out and uh, doing some different things for different people here in the uh, organization and trying to spread the word of the St. Louis Blues. You mentioned the alumni uh, group that you are the president of and have been involved in for a long time. Describe the importance of doing that and reaching out in the community, playing charity hockey games and the response you get from the community. Well, I think it's a great arm from the St. Louis Blues. Obviously, the current players can't do much during the course of the uh, regular season or playoffs. Uh, so we're out, you know, talking to people, maybe running hockey camps, uh, going to a rotary luncheon, whatever it may be. And the Blues, uh, you know, have been great with us. Um, they use us a lot in different events. They've included us in the parade when they had the uh, parade for the Stanley Cup. So it's been nice to be part of it that way. And uh, it goes two ways. So, it, uh, you know, the alumni are involved in a lot of different minor hockey league uh, areas, have been for years, and that's uh, helped grow the game itself. And that's why, you know, I mentioned the five first-round draft picks 
a lot of those kids went through Al McInnes, Jeff Brown, Basil McRae as their coaches. Uh, so, you know, you see those guys and putting it back into the city and it, it's so special. And, you know, they accept us, the fans do, as part of the uh, St. Louis Blues. And it's just been very special. And, uh, you know, we, we play this game for the fans and ourselves, obviously. And it's so nice to see them rewarded. How did your hockey career as a player, both in the National Hockey League and also in your years uh, playing in the Central Hockey League, how did that uh, contribute and give you that foundation uh, for your life after hockey? Well, you know, you hear people say a lot about teamwork and discipline and things of those natures, and and certainly that is part of it. Uh, I think getting along with a group when it's a team effort, uh, just like it is off the ice here with the St. Louis Blues front office staff, uh, you have to get along and make sure uh, you, know, you, you do things right. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes, but you bounce back and you know, uh, accept it and move on. So I think that part of the game um, you know, helps anybody uh, going forward in the real world, business world. So I think that helps. And then uh, you know, I think certainly the contacts that you make, uh, whether in Indianapolis or St. Louis, wherever it was, all those help. Uh, and as long as you take advantage of them in the right way, uh, they're going to help you and benefit you for the rest of your life. You played four seasons here in Indianapolis. What are some of your fondest memories of your time here in Indy? They were great years, uh, great group of guys. Uh, it was kind of interesting. You know, we played downtown. We played at the fairgrounds. We played in a couple different places. But, uh, you know, Fred Creighton was the coach for most of the time I was there and uh, had a good group of guys through the Islanders organization, and uh, I have nothing but fond memories of uh, Indianapolis. And we, My wife and I actually th- thought about uh, you know staying there and uh, moving there permanently. Uh, we had kept our house in St. Louis, so we moved back here in the summer, and it just didn't work out. So uh, we loved it there. Um, you know, we had two kids while we were there, some great friendships still that uh, we run into each other once in a while along the line, and uh, you know, certainly winning a championship helps and, you know, nobody can take that away and, uh, different era, obviously than it is today in today's game. And we had probably had a little, uh, more fun off the ice than some of the guys do now, but, uh, we got rewarded for it and worked hard on the ice. So, um, nothing but great things uh, about Indianapolis. Uh, you came to the uh, Islanders organization as a free agent in 1980. What were uh, some of the things that drew you to that organization uh, that uh, that brought you, obviously, here to Indianapolis? Well, certainly the New York Islanders, just the organization they were with Bill Torrey and Al Arbor. And, you know, uh, Burr Marshall was the coach at the time. It was just the pull was one, it was convenient to St. Louis, but that really wasn't the big part. It was, you knew that they were going to be a good organization and put on the winning team and the net opportunity maybe to get called up to the Islanders. And that's what I was still playing for. Obviously at that time, I still wanted to get back to the national hockey league. Um, and, uh, it didn't happen really. I played one game, but, um, you know, I think the opportunity to play for an organization like that and to see how they ran that team. And of course, everybody knows the record. They won the Stanley cup four years in a row. It was a tough lineup to crack, but uh, just nothing but great things about the organization and how they ran things. And Jimmy Devilano, who was a general manager in Indianapolis and how he ran things there. He tried to run it just like the Islanders. So, um, you know, I think it was the right spot and the right fit for me at the time. What was it like being part of an organization during their dynasty years, but also having the success on the ice you had in Indianapolis, was that a reflection of the fact that the organization was so well run? 
I think it tells you a lot about the organization and uh, how much winning uh, meant to them and how important it was, both at the NHL level and in the minors. And I think it's uh, you know shown just right from the top from Bill Torrey down. And as I mentioned, uh, Devilano was there, and he just uh, ran the same show, class act the whole way. Um, we got treated very well, and there was a respect both ways. I think the players understood what the Islanders were trying to do, and you know they they knew that the guys in the minors wanted to make it to the NHL and get that opportunity. So they they brought in character guys, and uh, you know that's why they won so many. I think the thing that was unique about that team was something you don't often see in the minor leagues, and that is you had a core of players that was together for four or five years and guys like Red Lawrence and Darcy Regeer and Tim Lockridge and Kevin Devine and yourself. Uh, what was it about that group that was so special and the fact that you were able to play together for as long as you were? Well, you mentioned a couple of guys that just, you know, Darcy Regeer for one, uh, you know, it was kind of the glue between everybody. He, uh, you know, certainly he wanted to play in the national hockey league, wanted to get that opportunity, but realized, uh, what his job was to the, and, uh, in Indianapolis, and you knew that there were some guys there that, uh, okay, maybe they weren't going to play in the National Hockey League, but uh, they still loved the game of hockey and wanted to play, and they wanted to win. And the guy like Kevin Devine, who's, what, five foot nine and 165, 70 pounds, one of the toughest guys I ever played with, uh, that rubs off on their other players. So they knew that they needed some veteran guys there and some guys that had been around and knew the team concept and how they wanted to play. And that was part of the winning atmosphere to have those guys in there. And uh, as I said, Darcy was kind of the glue behind uh, everything on the for the players on the ice. And uh, you played that way. And it starts at the top again. I, I'll mention Bill Torrey, but uh, even though he was in New York, uh, you could feel his presence all the way in Indianapolis. You spent uh, both championship seasons in Switzerland and then came back at the end of the year and contributed to the playoff runs. Uh, what was it about those teams that you noticed coming back, and what drew you coming back to the States to finish the season? Yeah, it was an interesting uh, deal there. there uh, you know, Some teams were a little upset that I came back and played for you know a team at the end of the year. It, it really, it, you, know, you don't play as many games over in Switzerland. It, the level is not quite the same. Uh, the camaraderie is not quite the same. At back at that time, in the Swiss league, the players were all working jobs during the day, uh, so it was totally different. So it was nice to get back and you know keep your foot in the door somewhat uh, to come back and hopefully maybe still get a chance to play in the National Hockey League. And so uh, to come back, there's always you know as it, when I came back from Europe, Fred Creighton was the coach, and he accepted me in. And it was a tough adjustment at first for the first few games, just the style and the play and. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, I never wore a helmet playing over here. I had to in Switzerland, and I came back and I wore a helmet and then after about five games, and I wasn't playing very well. <laughs> Fred says, why don't you take the helmet off? <laughs> so I did, and things started to go better. I don't know if that was the reason or not. Pretty stupid on my part, really, but, uh, you know, that type of thing changed it. So uh, it was just the chance to continue to play. I mean, it's in my blood. I still play hockey today at 65 years of age, two, three times a week. Uh, I just love playing the game. What was it like uh, winning that first championship in 1982 in front of your home fans in Indianapolis? Well, anytime you win a championship, I don't care what level it's at, it's pretty exciting. And that bond is there for life with that group of guys, uh, something you'll never forget. And 
is just as special it's like winning the Stanley Cup for us. You know, it's a different level, but you're still the champions. So um, that goes with you forever and ever, and something you never forget in the uh, friendships you had with the, all the guys on the team. And, uh, you know, that's the special part of this game is the other players and what goes on in that locker room. And then the following year, again, you came back from Switzerland at the end of the season, but that was a team to beat, and it looks as really just a dominant team from the uh, they were the highest scoring team in the league. You were the uh, best defensive team in the league in terms of fewest goals against, uh, one by 17 points. That team coming in obviously uh, had a championship pedigree. What was it about that team that made it able to repeat and do so in such dominant fashion? Well, I think the experience, those guys being there again, you know, you mentioned the Regeer and Lockhart, or Lock, um, Tim, I can't think of his name, Tim Lockridge. Lockridge, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, guys like that, Divine, and, you know, uh, having that experience and having been through it uh, certainly helps. You know, you hear players say it all the time in the Stanley Cup, sometimes you have to lose to be able to win. Well, sometimes you can win again because you've won. So, uh, I think that experience uh, just goes so far with the guys that uh, still want to win and play and still have that opportunity. So I think just the experience uh, speaks volumes. 18 assists and 13 playoff games. You're the playoff MVP. Uh, what did that mean to you to uh, to receive that honor that year? Well, certainly anytime you receive an individual honor, it's you know, there's a lot of people that uh, – you know, have a part in it. The thing I remember most about that was um, I couldn't shoot the puck because I had a bad shoulder. And so all I could do was try and pass it. And there was a guy by the name of Red Lawrence who had a pretty good shot and uh, really made our power play click. And so uh, it, it was rewarding in that sense just because, you know, I'd been playing hurt and wasn't 100%, but we still were able to win and, you know, to pull that off. So uh, it means a lot. But again, the ultimate prize is the championship. And there, that championship, if I remember right, it was a very unusual best-of-nine series, but you had a dramatic overtime win in Birmingham that seemed to propel you to uh, to that title where you, uh, Garth McGuigan scored right at the end of overtime. And yeah. Are those moments, when you win a game like that, does that really kind of give you a boost going into the future games? You know, I used to study this a little bit in the overtime wins and there was a professor out at the University of British Columbia who did a study on it, and the team that wins in overtime back then uh, would, uh, would win about 70% of the uh, next games. So obviously there is some momentum in that. Uh, I think in today's game it's a little different just because rinks are different too now, and I, I take that back, rinks are all the same pretty well now. Uh, there's no uh, uniqueness to most of the rinks. But uh, it certainly gives you a boost when something like that happens. And I remember we didn't charter back then, but we did charter a small plane to come back. And for some reason, I don't think it could take all our equipment because of the weight. And it was a, a nasty flight on the way back. And, uh, you know, the guys were getting sick and things like that. But uh, certainly the momentum was on our side. And Again, the experience just helped uh, tremendously. You look at that team, uh, we mentioned some of them, the number of NHL coaches and executives on that team. Obviously, we mentioned Darcy Regeer as a general manager. Scott Housen was a general manager. Uh, Gord Deneen's been involved in coaching. Kevin Devine as a scouting director. Yourself in the front office with the Blues. Does that 
really speak to the quality of people you had on that team that they have gone on to uh, do so well in different front office capacities in the National Hockey League? Without a doubt. And again, it, it starts at the top and Jim DeVolano and, uh, you know, wanted character people and he got them. And a guy like Regeer, as you said, Scotty Housen, and, and, you know, some of these guys I still see today, which is just great. Um, and Kevin Devine with Buffalo. It, it's, you know, when you look at putting a team together, certainly talent does a lot, but character says more. And they went and they got character players, and character players win. You've had a chance as a player in St. Louis. You played in the old arena in Indianapolis. Uh, you played in the Coliseum. What was it like uh, to play in some of those old buildings and uh, the character that those rinks had? Well, the Coliseum in itself, uh, obviously being a bigger ice surface, uh, I liked that. I was a skating defenseman, so it gave me some more room. Uh, some defensemen don't like it because they want tighter quarters. But uh, every, as I said earlier, every rink was unique. You know, you went into Tulsa. And the rink was very small, short corners. It was kind of like the old Boston Garden uh, where they had the, the short corners. Um, and every rink was different and unique. And so, you know, the one that uh, downtown, you know, it was more like a, a normal rink. You know, the, the normal size, normal boards, nothing too unique about it. But the Coliseum was just, uh, got, in my heart, a special place to play and uh, uh, just the way the building was set up describe fred creighton as a coach i know he's been described as an old school coach but uh, what was it about him that allowed uh, you guys to have the success that you had fear <laughs> fred didn't hold any punches which is uh, at least you knew where you stood um if you didn't like what you did you were told and uh you know back then coaching was totally different than it is today and the players are different too but he would uh, he would uh, come down hard on you, and if you had a bad game or or a bad loss, uh, you know the, the old bag skate would come out, and you know we wouldn't see the pucks, and you didn't want that. You wanted to, uh, you know, obviously not have to go through those types of practices. I'll never forget one time uh, we were in I think it was Oklahoma City, and we played an overtime game. It was late. This was just during the regular season. And Larry Goodenough and I were trying to find a bite to eat. Couldn't find a place open. So we went back to the hotel, and there was a bar upstairs. And I think we had a curfew at midnight. And we ordered a pizza to take to our room. And by the time the pizza came out, it was like 5 after 12. And Fred walks in. Those guys, got to find you. We're just waiting for a pizza, Fred. I got to find you. And then he ordered us a beer. <laughs> he find us, but he orders a beer here. So, you know, that says a little bit about Fred, too, and, you know, what was going on in those days. You also played for Burt Marshall, and he just retired as a scout with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, describe Burt Marshall as a coach as well. So, Burt and I didn't hit it off real well the uh, first part of the year. Um, you know, I think it was one of those things he was, you know, just coming out of being a player, which is a tough transition. Um, he was a defenseman and was more of a stay-at-home defenseman. You know, he played with Potvin a lot. And I was more the uh, freewheeling guy, I guess. And even though I had size, I think he wanted me to be a lot more physical. And so we didn't uh, hit it off, and I got benched a couple of times during games and things of that nature. And, uh, it took a while for the relationship to grow. Um, 
and it finally did. But so it was a tough start, but a good finish. And uh, he was, I would say, of most of the coaches I had, he was probably the most technical and um, you know up to date with what I'll call uh, you know different exercises and drills, uh, tech savvy, and for that time. And so you know we we learned to appreciate each other and respect each other. So it just took a while, that's all. Your goaltenders, Robbie Holland and Kelly Rudy, uh, had some great careers, and Kelly went on to have yep. a great career in the National Hockey League. How much confidence does that give you as a player to have two guys like that behind you? Well, it's huge, no question. Uh, and Kelly, uh, his rookie year, his nickname was Mattress because he liked to sleep so much. Uh, so the guys would give him a hard time, and he used to sit. He did a drill where he would sit in his, not sit, but go into the net, and his neck was basically under the crossbar and ask you to come in and shoot it. And he would make try and make the saves without having to go down or just you know standing there and not getting it up right away because he didn't want to hit his head onto the crossbar. You could see this kid was talented. And, you know, Robbie Holland was more of a veteran minor leader, uh, but somebody we had trusted just like we did uh, Kelly. And so when you have that in the back end, any team will tell you that, you know, if you make a mistake and your goalie can pull it out, uh, not to make you look bad, especially for a defenseman, I mean, you can play with a lot of confidence and, you know, maybe try something that you wouldn't normally try because you knew he was going to stop it. So both of them were great competitors. And I think they pushed each other, which is uh, always a key for goaltending. That last year in Indianapolis turned out to be the last year for the Central Hockey League as well. You were the league MVP. The team went to a, a little bit of a younger direction. The Islanders brought a lot of younger players in, but made a surprise run uh, in the playoffs, beating a very good uh, Colorado Flames team in the first round that year. And Describe what that was like uh, being the veteran working with a lot of younger players. Well, I enjoyed it uh, tremendously, actually. Um, unfortunately, I got hurt in that last uh, series against, I think it was Tulsa, if I recall. That is correct. Uh, yeah, and Tulsa was without a home. Uh, about a month and a half into the season, uh, they moved out of Tulsa and went to Denver as a, <laughs> to live and basically had to play on the road the whole time. And so this it was a team, and I'll never uh, forget the um, oh, general manager of, uh, of um, Vegas, uh, Tom McPhee was not Tom McPhee. Um, George McPhee. Oh, can't think of his name. George McPhee. Thank you. Uh, was on that team, and he was a spark plug for them. Tough as they come, and not, you know, not that big a player, but he played really tough and was a spark plug for them. And uh, that was a tough series. We ended up having to play in Carmel uh, Ice Rink, if I recall correctly. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, which was you know a little unusual, especially for championship series in the Central Hockey League, but um, it just didn't go our way, and. Uh, Tulsa ended up winning it, but again, a team without a, a home. What uh, were some of your favorite memories, uh, favorite times uh, here in Indianapolis? I think most of them were when Fred was there, just the way he, uh, old school, but like I said, you knew where you stood with him, and, and he allowed you to have fun still, uh, even if it was in practice and uh, uh, or off the ice. And uh, he knew the guys wanted to get together and be a team, and he, he pushed that. So I think just building the uh, relationships with those players over the time. I mean, we included our wives or girlfriends, whatever it was, uh, all the time, too. And it just became a, a big family. And as I mentioned, it, you know, more of a veteran group in the early times of that. And, uh, you know, both my wife and I enjoyed it immensely. Um, and I, I just think it was 
being part of that family. Uh, championships are nice, yes, but the uh, relationships with your uh, teammates you take on for the rest of your life, and uh, those are the ones I remember. Who were some of the people who influenced you as a hockey player growing up, and who did you try to model your game after? Well, my, my favorite player was Bobby Orr. Uh, you know, whose wasn't, right? Uh, he, he was pretty special to watch. Um, I grew up in British Columbia, and uh, you know, I went to college. Not a lot of players came out of college at that time, but I was fortunate enough to come out of college after two years and get drafted by the California Golden Seals. So I didn't have a lot of you know, contact with the National Hockey League. I never thought that I'd be playing in the National Hockey League until I got older. So there really wasn't anybody that I... You know, got mentored by uh, until I got to St. Louis, and it was probably the Plager brothers that uh, kind of took me under their wing, and uh, you know, kind of taught me the ropes, I guess you could say, and how to be a professional and do things uh, the right way, and uh, respect for the game itself and for uh, other players, and so I think uh, you know that type of thing uh, certainly went a long way. But yeah, Bobby Orr was my my guy, obviously. And then, obviously, as an offensive defenseman yourself, uh, was that uh, something that, because of the way he revolutionized the game, he uh, kind of created that position that uh, you ended up playing a little bit during your career? Yeah, it was interesting. So when I got to St. Louis, um, they didn't want me to rush the puck. I, you know, I was 6'1", 210 pounds, uh, which was big back then. They thought I should be a more stay-at-home physical defenseman, which I had never done. Uh, I'd always gotten points in junior college, things of that nature. Uh, so I just, you know, didn't play that game. Uh, I didn't mind the physical uh, activity at all, but it just wasn't my style. So, it, you know, it took a while to figure out how to play the game differently, do some things like that. Um, but certainly watching Orin, no way could I be, you know, compared to that but that's the game I like to play. You got a chance uh, right before you came to Indy to play a couple of games in Vancouver. How important was it? How nice was it to get a chance to play in British Columbia in front of uh, your hometown fans? Yeah, it was a quick trip. Uh, What was interesting about that trip is Harry Neal was the coach and we were in Montreal and he started me at left wing checking Guy Lafleur. I have no idea why. I've never played for it a shift in my life in, uh, in pro hockey. And I'm out there against Guy Lafleur in Montreal in the forum going, what am I doing here? <laughs> so uh, it was an interesting, uh, I think it was five games. Uh, we were on a long trip to California, too. We went fishing and everything. So I was having a great time. I uh, did not play a tremendous amount, played here and there, um, but uh, enjoyed the experience. And certainly being back in my home province was uh, very special for me and my family and my mom and dad to come down and watch a few games. So that was great, but uh, uh, it was too short. <laughs> when did the NHL and the opportunity to play in the NHL come onto your radar screen? Was it during your time at Denver when you got drafted? Yes, uh, just before I got drafted, uh, a couple agents had talked to me and approached me and said, you know, I think you're going to go pretty high in the draft, and if you're considering an agent, you know, please consider me. And it was kind of surprising, you know, because that there's just no contact like there is now, nor the TV, nor, you know, nor social media or anything else. So it was totally different. Um, you know, they didn't, the draft wasn't done the same way as it is today. So, uh, you know, I got the, I'll never forget the night before the draft, um, I got a call saying that uh, I was going to be picked by Buffalo. And I said, okay, whatever that means. And at midnight that night, they instituted the underage draft. 
So uh, Buffalo ended up taking Danny Gare, I believe it was. Good choice. Um, and so it just changed the whole draft. I, so we dropped in the draft, and you know, a number of uh, 18-year-olds were selected. Um, and so just totally different you know, atmosphere compared to today. But uh, really my second year in college is when I started to realize there might be an opportunity. That opportunity as well. You mentioned the underage draft. It was the World Hockey Association have something to do with that as the two leagues were uh, right. were essentially bidding over players, and you had the opportunity to go to both, right? I did. Uh, so they had a supplemental draft in the old days with the World Hockey Association and Bill Deneen, speaking of Deneen's and uh, Gord, uh, his father, uh, I got drafted. And so didn't really look at it too much. Uh, I wanted to be in the NHL. And once I decided on an agent that I was going to go pro, uh, that was really the only place I wanted to look. Anything else you'd like to share with our fans here in Indianapolis? Really enjoyed our time in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, it was our second home. and uh, Well, thanks a lot, Bruce, for joining us. Well, thank you very much. That's our conversation with Bruce Affleck, four-year member of the Indianapolis Checkers, two-time Central Hockey League Adams Cup champion, three-time defenseman of the year, one-time league MVP, and also playoff MVP. Bruce was one of the leaders of the Checkers teams that I grew up watching as a hockey fan in Indianapolis and helped pique my interest in this great sport, and it was a real honor to be able to chat with him and take a trip down memory lane, and I hope you enjoyed it too. We'll have another trip down memory lane during the off season, and then it'll be time to drop the puck on the 2019-20 Indy Fuel season. Again, you can get your ticket packages or get your season tickets at IndyFuelHockey.com or call 317-925-FUEL to secure your seats for the 2019-20 season. Looking forward to another year of hockey. We'll see you at the rink. This is Andrew Smith, the broadcast voice of the Fuel. Thanks for joining us on Under the Hood. Thanks for going under the hood with the Indy Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndyFuelHockey.com.